Good morning, and welcome to worship this morning. It's good to be back with you today. Uh, My family and I just want to say thank you for the warm welcome that you gave us these two weeks that we've been with you. It's been a real joy. Um, as, As you probably gathered from what maybe Pastor Charles told you and what I mentioned last week, I don't preach too regularly anymore, thanks to my responsibilities at Jubilee, but um, it's nice to get back in the saddle again occasionally, so it's been, been nice to be with you these, these last two weeks. Uh, as far as announcements go, I'm pretty much going to do what I did last week and encourage you to uh, read the bulletin and uh, find out what's going on in the church in the days to come, unless there are announcements that you'd like to make. All right, well, seeing no hands and hearing no one raise their hands and and jump up and down and wave at me, uh, we'll just encourage you to read read the bulletin, and um, you saw the announcements on the screen just just a bit ago. As promised last week, we're going to be back in the Gospel according to Luke, actually in the same chapter that we looked at last week, just a little bit earlier in that chapter. And uh, thinking about the theme, deliver us, from evil. So I think it's appropriate for us to use as a call to worship these words of Jesus as recorded in Matthew chapter 6. When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need. And forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us. From evil. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to worship you. And we pray, Father, that for the next hour, everything would just kind of fade away. Our worries about what we left behind at home, the work that will start again tomorrow, may all of that just fade into the background and may our focus be squarely on you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. If you'll stand with us. We're going to do a new song today. It's been out for about a year, um, but I think it pretty much speaks for itself. So if you guys will follow along with us. Every atmosphere is changed when you draw near. Every failure falls away in the silence I hear. The voice that calms the sea, you're in the waters deep. 
Thank you, orchestra and praise team for leading us into God's presence this morning. This time we want to take some time to uh, open the floor for praises, prayer requests, uh, those things you that are laying on your heart that you'd like to share this morning. In the back. Okay, this is uh, from Zoom. We got a couple of things. Um, one for, uh, let's see, Pastor Charles and Kathy are in Georgia visiting with Hilda, uh, Charles's mother. Um, Hilda is doing well and wants to say hi to everyone. Uh, please pray for Charles' sister, Wanda, uh, who is currently having abdominal pain. Uh, also pray for... Um, Folks up at uh, uh, Twin Pines this week. Um, no, excuse me. Uh, Amy and uh, Pastor Rob are uh, going up leading uh, uh, the week up there. And uh, so just safety and uh, God's message for everybody there. Um, also from Zoom, we have um, uh, from uh, Ginny Long, have uh, Mike's test results. Uh, what was it? 
Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, Mike's test results showed cancer, but no treatment uh, or medicine will be necessary because it will be um, the least aggressive. Uh, just follow-ups every three months. Uh, so just, uh, you know, uh, keep that in uh, prayer. Anyone else? Yes, over here. I have a depression real bad, and if you would just pray for me, I'd appreciate it. First name, please. Ron. Anyone else? Yes. I'd like to pray for Jeff since he got COVID some, like, sometime, I think, last week. So pray for him. Uh, you said Jeff? Yes. Okay. And certainly, uh, let's pray for one another, especially your congregation as going through a time of transition. Um, I was a part, my family and I were a part of a number of those through uh, our, my pastoral career, and it's uh, tough on families, it's tough on churches, uh, you're excited, you're scared, uh, you know, all of the above and a lot of other emotions, so uh, we certainly will be praying for you, and uh, as you pray for yourselves, for uh, Pastor Jeff and Vicki as they come, and of course for Pastor Charles and Kathy as they move on to new adventures too. All right, well, let's look to our Lord together in prayer. Father, it always excites me when I read how you taught your disciples to pray. I remember being taught in Sunday school and vacation Bible school and uh, right on up through my adult years when people would ask, well, how, how, how do you pray? Uh, sometimes, you know, a teacher or well-meaning Bible school instructor will say, well, you just talk to God. And that sounds simple and that's the right answer, but some of us need a little more help. And when your disciples came to you and said, Lord, teach us to pray, you didn't push them aside and say, well, you just talked to God. You said, guys, come here. Let me show you. Let me teach you. And you lovingly and beautifully taught them to pray. Thank you, God, for teaching us to pray. Some of us are much better at it than others. You know I freely admit I'm one of the worst prayers out there. Give me the Bible and I can read it from morning till night. But boy, when I sit down to pray, the mind goes off in a hundred different directions and it's hard to keep focused. 
But Lord, thank you that you gently and you calmly and you lovingly are always willing to teach us to pray. And so today, Lord, we come before you and we give you thanks for who you are and for what you've done. Lord, you're amazing. As we we just got done singing, you love us so much and we can't quite fathom that, why you would want to love us. And yet you do. And the only reason we can love you and we can love others is because you even teach us how to love. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us to learn well how to love and how to pray. Today, Lord, you've heard the praises and you've heard the requests. We pray that you would be with Palmyra Church as they go through this time of transition. Like I said, it's scary and it's exciting and there's a whole bunch of other emotions jumbled in there. But at the one point, on one side, it's, it's sad because we're saying farewell to a well-loved pastor and his family. And we ask that you'd be with Charles and Kathy, not only as they're traveling right now, but as they begin a new adventure at Leesport. We thank you, Lord, for orchestrating it. We thank you, Lord, for putting the pieces together, for helping them find a place to live. And we just pray that you would give them exciting and fruitful ministry there. And we thank you, Lord, that they can spend this time with their family and pray that you would continue to be with Charles's mom. We thank you that she's doing well and pray for her continued well-being and ask that you'd be with his sister, Wanda, as she's struggling with some discomfort right now. Give her peace and give her healing, I pray in Jesus' name. But we also pray for Pastor Jeff and Vicki as they begin a new adventure here. We thank you for them and their ministry here in the past and just ask that as you've orchestrated that too, that you would let them plug back in here at Palmyra just perfectly and beautifully, that Lord, the ministry that you have called them to would just flourish and grow and that Father, they would be the right fit, the, 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 the right family to be here for this time in Palmyra's history. We look forward to what you're going to do through the ministry of Palmyra Church, through their leadership. We thank you, Lord, for the ministry of Twin Pines and just pray that you'd be with the campers and leaders this coming week. Pray that you'd be with Mike Long. Um, We we thank you, Lord, that um, there's no aggressive treatment needed at this point, but just ask that you would continue to touch and heal him as only you can. For Ron, as he struggles with depression, Uh, Lord, many of us know exactly what that feels like. Maybe not to the degree that Ron's feeling, but so many of us struggle with it, Lord. And I pray that you would touch him and encourage him, that you would give him the help that he needs and uh, just be the light that he needs to see through the darkness right now. And for Jeff, Lord, we pray that as he has uh, been diagnosed with COVID, that um, it would just pass through his system quickly that, Lord, you would touch and heal him, that the antibodies would build, and that, Lord, he'd be back on his feet and uh, feeling better in no time. Lord, you know um, the Supreme Court has made some decisions recently uh, that made a lot of people happy and made a lot of people upset. But, Lord, 
we thank you that it's not the Supreme Court that's in control. We thank you, Lord, that you're the one in control. And Father, regardless of which side of the political spectrum we fall on, I pray that we would look at each other as brothers and sisters, that we would talk to each other as brothers and sisters, not as enemies. As we're going to learn a little bit later today, the enemy isn't the person standing in front of you. The enemy is the evil one behind. So Lord, help us to discuss politics with calm and with love and with peace, and yeah, even with forgiveness as we pray in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lord, thank you for being so good. Thank you for loving us so deeply, like a hurricane. And we're just swirling around in that love, Lord. I pray that you would help us to love you and love each other well. In Jesus' name, amen.
So I would invite you to turn once again to Luke chapter 8 with me. Like I said, we were there last week. Uh, We're going to be there again today. This week, a little bit earlier in the chapter, Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. And uh, feel free to follow along in your own copy of the Scriptures or on the screen behind me. Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. And I'd like to remind you that the next words you hear are the words of the Lord. So they arrived in the region of the Gerasenes across the lake from Galilee. As Jesus was climbing out of the boat, A man who was possessed by demons came out to meet him. For a long time, he had been homeless and naked, living in the tombs outside of the town. As soon as he saw Jesus, he shrieked and fell down in front of him. Then he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? Please, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already commanded the evil spirit to come out of him. The spirit had often taken control of the man. Even when he was placed under guard and put in chains and shackles, he simply broke them and rushed out into the wilderness, completely under the demon's power. Jesus demanded, What is your name? Legion, he replied, for he was filled with many demons. The demons kept begging Jesus not to send them into the bottomless pit. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby, and the demons begged him to let them enter into the pigs. So Jesus gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned. And now you know why I titled the sermon, gave the sermon the second title that I gave it. I I just have this warped sense of humor, and that's one video I want to see. When I get to heaven, that's one video I'd really like to see. Swan dive. Do pigs swan dive? I don't know. I guess it would be a pig dive, not a swan dive. Anyway, that was not the word of the Lord. That was the schwank commentary. Okay, this is the word of the Lord. When the herdsmen saw it, they fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus and saw the man who had been freed from the demons. He was sitting at Jesus' feet, fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what happened told the others how the demon-possessed man had been healed. And all the people in the region of the Gerasenes begged Jesus to go away and leave them alone, for a great, great wave of fear swept over them. Interesting response by the people, isn't it? So Jesus returned to the boat and left, crossing back to the other side of the lake. The man who had been freed from the demons begged to go with him, but Jesus sent them home saying, No, Go back to your family and tell them everything God has done for you. So he went all through the town, proclaiming the great things Jesus had done for him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, on 
resurrection day, Jesus walked with disciples along the road and ate with them in their homes. He opened their eyes that they would recognize him. I pray that you'd do the same with us today. Then he opened their minds that they could understand the scriptures. Lord, would you please do that as well? And they said as they walked along the way, their heart was strangely warmed. Would you do that today, Lord? Give us a fresh new love for you, a fresh new love for others as well. Walk with us wherever we go today. Be with us in our homes as you were on that resurrection day. And may we meet the resurrected Lord right now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I never met M.J. Sharp, and I never met his colleague, Zaida Catalan. But I know M.J. Sharp's family, parts of his family, very, very well. They were part of my congregation over at Gingrich's Mennonite Church, just not too far away from here. His aunt and his uncle are active members of that congregation. And for several weeks, a few years ago, uh, we walked with MJ's family as MJ and Zaida were actively battling the forces of evil in the Congo. You may have read about their story. It was on the national news. MJ and Zaida worked for the United Nations. In a very specific ministry, I would call it, MJ would have called it a ministry, working to rescue child soldiers from the Congolese military. These Congolese warlords would take children from their homes. They would actually kill their parents and would take children not much, not, not 10 years old yet. They would take them, they would train them for military service, and they would turn them into killers. And what MJ and Zaida did was not go in and, you know, kill the warlords. They, they didn't go in and try to, you know, put an end to the evil that way. They actually went in, they, they, they used whatever peaceful means were necessary and, and at their disposal to rescue these child soldiers. Sometimes it meant paying off the warlords, quite frankly. I'll, I'll, I'll be open and honest with you. If they had the funds and they could do it, they'd pay them off and rescue the child. That was more important than the money that they lost. But they sat down with these warlords across the table, face to face with these people who thought nothing of throwing children into battle, giving them an AK-47 and sending them out to kill other people. They would sit across the table and they would try to find out what made them tick, why they were doing this, why they needed the children. And every once in a while, they would actually convince one of the warlords to give up some children and they would reunite them with their family or get them to an orphanage or just get them out of that lifestyle and then rehabilitate these poor brainwashed children. It was a beautiful, powerful ministry. Until the day that MJ and Zaida were kidnapped, held hostage, 
and after a few weeks, executed by the warlords. Few of us may ever come face to face with that kind of evil. Maybe you did. Maybe some of you fought in Europe during World War II and you saw the evil that the Third Reich and Hitler inflicted across much of the world. Maybe you see it when you watch the evening news like I do. And we see evil in its many different faces around the world. But one day, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus encountered it. And his example teaches us not only about the reality of evil in our world, but he shows us that he is the one who can deliver us from evil. We're going to walk through this passage today. It's, It's a little bit different than I typically preach, but I just felt this is such a powerful story that the, you know, the, the ideas were just popping into my head and it's kind of a stream of consciousness thing. Uh, so many things just popped in that I'm going to walk through this as quickly as I can this morning with you and help us to understand this very strange account that Jesus provides for us. The first thing that jumped into my mind was sometimes the power of evil appears overwhelming. Uh, like those warlords in the Congo, like Hitler in the Third Reich. Sometimes evil just appears so overwhelming that we want to throw up our hands and say, what in the world can we do? Verse 27 and 29 give us a picture of this poor man's life, and the other gospel writers fill in the gaps. We see that Jesus arrives in this region of the Gerasenes. Some of, some of your translations use a slightly different word. And quite frankly, the commentators aren't exactly sure where this location is. They're, they're just, they're just, it's not easily pinpointed on the maps today. But as Jesus is getting out of this boat, a man who's possessed by demons comes out to meet him. And we're told that for a long time, he's been living homeless and naked, living in the tombs outside of the town. And Mark, the gospel writer Mark, who is not known for his detail, Mark, of course, is the shortest gospel, and he's like, immediately, 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 we've got to get on to the next thing. He actually gives us more detail than Luke. Mark tells us that this poor guy used to take sharp rocks and cut himself with it. He, I mean, he didn't know what he was doing. He was so overwhelmed by the power of evil that was living within him that you know, he was into self-abuse and loneliness. I mean, imagine what this poor man experienced. We don't know how long he was in the wilderness. We don't know... It, you know, it, we know he had a family of some degree. We don't know if he was married. We don't know if he had children. We don't know if his parents were still alive. But for however long he had been living in this state of control, being controlled by the evil one, no family dinners, no hugs, no kind words. I mean, we'll, we'll meet up with some people who, were, who tried to help him as best as they could, but they were even powerless to do anything. 
And doesn't it feel that way sometimes? Uh, For the last couple of years, I have been celebrating No News November. No News November. N-O-N-E-W-S November. No News November. I figure 11 months out of the year watching the news and having my mind filled with everything that's going on in the world is enough. I just need a month to say, it's Thanksgiving month. I don't need the depression. I have enough of that on my own. (laughs) I don't need my mind filled with all of that. I don't think 30 days is going to hurt me. So for 30 days, no Facebook. As little news as possible. I, I, I can't say I never see any news or hear any news. But I just try to say, enough. You've got to stay away from it for a while. And, and, you know, even today, you know, I'd encourage you, you know, don't watch the news. I mean, we have 24-hour news networks. Please don't watch them all the time. It's not good for you. (laughs) That's not a political statement. Remember, I said news networks, okay? I didn't point out any one. Just back it, tone it down. Because we know there's evil in the world. And we know it can be overwhelming. But sometimes... We just need to back off and say, you know what, I know there's evil out there and I know there's stuff I need to be doing and we'll talk about that, but just don't let it overwhelm you. You know the end of the story. Jesus overwhelms the evil. Don't let the evil overwhelm you. The next thing I see in this passage is that some brave people tried to restrain evil, but they needed divine help. Did did you catch that? There were some people who tried to do something about this guy. He said, uh, the spirit had taken control of the man, this is verse 29, and even when he was placed under guard and put in chains and shackles, he simply broke them and rushed out into the wilderness completely under the demon's power. There were some people who tried to help. We don't know who they are. They're some of God's little unknown, unnamed nobodies, people just like you and me, who tried to do something. God bless them. They took a stand, and they tried to help this man. Some of them just guarded him. You know, maybe they, you know, when he picked up a rock to try and cut themselves, maybe they took it from him. And when it got really bad, they actually tied him up power of evil was too much for him. He just broke the chains and went on. They did all that they could, but it wasn't enough. And you know, sometimes I think we need to realize our limitations. God calls us to overcome evil with good. We've been told that the only thing necessary for evil to prevail is for good people to do nothing. And I agree with that. Do all the good you can. Take your stand against evil, but humbly realize that you are powerless to do anything without Jesus. Don't try to overcome evil by yourself. You need Jesus. We know a person 
it's kind of a sad story, who believes that her mission in life is to point out evil in the church and stamp it out. She believes that it's her job to go to local churches, find out, find the evil that's lurking in the local churches, and point it out and get rid of the problem. But you know what she's done? She has ruined good people's reputations in the process. She's told lies. She's told mistruths. And because of the people's reputation and, and, and you know, the, that other people know that these people are not like that, they've, you know, they've rallied and they've been okay. But this person had to be removed from leadership in churches that she was a part of because of her crusade to stamp out evil in churches. So you've got to be careful. When you determine to take a stand against evil, you better make sure you're on the right side. <laughs> There's a wonderful book. If you've never read it, let me encourage you to read it. It's called The Screw Tape Letters. S-C-R-E-W... T-A-P-E, Screw Tape Letters. It was written by C.S. Lewis, the same guy that wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, Mere Christianity, great British apologist. In it, Screw Tape is a senior devil. He's a senior devil, and he's writing to his nephew, a junior devil. And he's basically teaching his nephew how to be a good devil. So it, it's, it, you got to get your mind around it because he talks about the enemy. Now, when we talk about the enemy, we're talking about Satan. When Screwtape talks about the enemy, he's talking about Jesus. We talk about our heavenly Father above. He talks about his Father below. Obviously talking about Satan. So you have to get your mind around it. But it is a fascinating theological and psychological study of temptation. And from Lewis's perspective and Screwtape's perspective, evil does not dress itself up in horns with a pitchfork and a long red tail, or like an evil, you know, bloodthirsty monster. Evil dresses itself up as a handsome man. A beautiful woman, an angel of light, remember that from the scriptures? Satan masquerades as an angel of light. So sometimes, sometimes we've got to be careful that we're on the right side because Satan, remember, is doing everything he can to deceive us. And we like to pull out those verses, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, and that is true. But we are not God, so we can still be deceived. So we have to be careful that we're on the right side when we take our stands and make sure we're really taking a stand against evil and not against God. 
Another thing I see in this passage is, you, is you've got to know your enemy. You've got to know your enemy. And there is a popular belief in Middle Eastern cultures of the day that knowing the name of a supernatural entity gave a person power over it. So if a person was possessed by a, a demon, if the exorcist could figure out the demon's name, that gave the exorcist power over the demon. You could order it to leave. That was the belief in Jewish and the surrounding cultures of the day. So knowing that now, you understand why the demons did what they did to Jesus. The demons try to get power over Jesus by using his name. In verse 28, look at what, Jesus, look at what happens. Um, the, the, the de- Jesus encounters the demons, and uh, the demon screams, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? And I'm sure if he could have thought of some other names of Jesus, he would have used those too. He's just throwing everything at Jesus, figuring if, if I can just get one of his names, I can overpower him. It doesn't work. It fails miserably because Jesus can't be controlled by anyone or anything. This is actually kind of funny now. Jesus, who doesn't need any help in overpowering his enemies, this is the same voice that spoke the worlds into existence. All right? He doesn't need to know the demon's name, but he kind of plays along says, what's your name? You ask me my name, you know my name, I want to know your name. And what does the demon do? Foolishly says, oh, it's Legion. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. Couldn't help it. Couldn't help it. He was talking to the one who spoke worlds into existence. He's speaking to the one who created everything that we see and what we can't see. And he just has to submit. He has to tell Jesus his name. He foolishly gives it to Jesus. He couldn't help it. Jesus knew his enemy. He already knew his name. He already knew who he was dealing with. And in the same way, we've got to get to know our enemies. And here I think is an important piece that I don't want you to miss. Notice Jesus doesn't ask the man his name. Could have been John, could have been Philip, could have been Peter, could have been who knows. Doesn't ask the man his name. Why is that? Because I think Jesus wants us to realize that we're not fighting, when we fight evil, we're not fighting the person. We're fighting the evil who's motivating that person. The evil that we're fighting is not people. Jesus doesn't ask the man his name. It's not this group or that group. 
It's the devil and his minions. That's who we're up against. That's our enemy. So we've got to stop demonizing people and focus on the real sources of evil behind them. Another thing I see, and this is where the pigs come in, our evil impacts our fellow creatures. The overpowered demons ask to be sent into a herd of pigs. Now, if you're wondering why those pigs are there, you should. Why does Jesus even bring this up? That there were pigs on a hillside and the demons wanted to be cast into the pigs. That's an excellent question. I'm glad you asked it. The answer is, the pigs should not have been there. Why not? I like bacon. Don't you? A little ham, a little pork and sauerkraut on New Year's Day. Why should they have not been there? Because this was Israel, people. Are Jews supposed to eat pork? No. No ham sandwiches in Jesus' house. No, 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 no. Why the pigs were there, I don't know, but they shouldn't have been there. Pigs were considered to be an unclean food. Now, we know that later Jesus pronounces all foods clean. That's on down the line. The pigs were not supposed to be there because Jews were not supposed to be eating pork. So either the Jews were violating God's law, or there was another reason why the pigs were there. Some commentators take it easier on the Jews of the day, and they, there is some proof that Romans, and remember Rome was controlling this region during this time period, um, Romans actually used um, uh, pigs in some of their sacrifices. So it's possible that that was the reason why the pigs were there, but either way, it wasn't God's best. Either the Jews were raising them to use or to sell to the Romans, and the, or the Romans were raising them, the pigs shouldn't have been there. But at its most basic, I think there's another reason why Jesus highlights this as part of the story. It teaches us that human evil, the evil that people do, impacts all of creation. I mean, think about it. What happened at the time of the fall? way back in Adam and Eve's day. Remember what Adam did, what Adam's first job was? He named all the animals. The animals came by, and Adam named them all. There was peace, there was community between Adam, humans, and the animal kingdom. What happens when Adam and Eve fall? There's a rupture now between the human and the animal kingdom. First animals are killed to make coverings for Adam and Eve. The whole sacrificial system evolves. I don't really think that was God's best. God's best was animals and humans living together in harmony. But now, all of a sudden, there's a rupture. It happens again, the time of Noah. No, wait a minute. Noah saved the animals. Uh, Yeah, a few. Millions and millions and millions died 
as a result of the flood, as a result of human evil. And in Romans, I'm going to flip over, if you want to flip over to it, you can. Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 22. Listen to what Paul says about the future. He says, For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse, but with either eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. All of creation is looking forward to full redemption. Not just humans, but all creation. Remember, God promised to create what? A new heaven. Period. Nope. New heaven and a new earth. Seems to me there's going to be more to this redemption of creation as we go on. But you know what? Our evil continues to impact the creation. We were with my brother and sister-in-law yesterday. They have two great dogs. They have uh, Ranger and Gracie. Gracie is just a sweetheart. I think she's a pit bull um, boxer mix. But you know what Gracie was raised for originally? Not in my brother's and sister-in-law's home. But she was raised to be a bait dog for dog fights. Sweetest dog you'd ever want to meet, but she was raised to, for horrible things. A few years ago, Lori and Heather and I were down in Lafayette, Louisiana with Mennonite Disaster Services. We were helping to clean up uh, after a particular nasty series of storms hit that region. And the first house that I was sent to work on, I, I am convinced. Now, you need to know, I have some training as a veterinary technician. I worked for veterinarians for about five or six years, and so, and I worked with a humane society, so I kind of know what to look for when it comes to animal abuse and that sort of thing. And I'm convinced the house I was working on um, was a, a breeder for dog fighting and for uh, cockfighting, and I you know, couldn't do anything about it. I mean, I'm, well, that's not what I was there to do. You know, we would talk about feeling helpless. It still continues. Our evil still impacts our environment. But there's another thing at the tail end of this passage that I think is important for us to talk about a little bit. Did you notice that people get so used to evil that they don't know how to handle it when it's gone? Did you see what happened at the tail end of this story? Jesus casts out the demon, overpowers the evil one, and the man is back to normal. Well, actually better than normal because normal for him was cutting himself and doing all sorts of horrible things to his body. But now he's clothed, he's in his right mind, he can carry on a conversation, he can give hugs and get hugs again. He's, he's the way God created him to be. And what do the people of the community do? They're petrified. They're scared at what's happened to this guy. They've gotten so used to the evil 
oh, there's old evil Paul. He's out there running around cutting himself with rocks. He's just, just ignore him. Just let him go. Let him go do his thing. But now all of a sudden, Paul's back. We've got to welcome him into our society. <laughs> and did you see what happened? This guy comes, his name is Jesus, he casts out the demons, they go into the pigs, the pigs take the dive off the cliff. We need to get this Jesus out of here. He's upsetting the status quo. He's turned our world upside down. They're more scared of Jesus than they were of the guy who was demon-possessed. Weird, isn't it? And yet I think sometimes, if we're not careful, we can react the same way. We can get so used to the evil around us that we're just kind of like, oh yeah, just another night of the evening news. Just another day reading the newspaper. And we almost become immune to it. And then when it disappears, when all of a sudden it's been removed or it's been handled or the, the situation resolves itself or Jesus steps in, it's a little scary because we've never... Oh, Jesus did something we weren't expecting. Now what? But the beauty of this passage, and I close with this, is the fact that we are not the one who delivers anyone from evil. Jesus is. That's why we pray in the Lord's Prayer and deliver us from evil. Because we have to realize our limitations. That yes, God has called us to take a stand and He has called us to call out evil when we see it. He tells us to overcome evil with good. I like that too. Overcome evil with good. In other words, don't focus so much on the evil. All of a sudden, you're going to be so, you're, you're going to be so focused on the evil that you forget about doing good. No, overcome evil with good. Do good. Do what's right. And all of a sudden, evil kind of shrivels up because it can't live with good. Jesus is the one who delivers us from every kind of evil. MJ and Zaida's story does not have a happy ending. It looked like evil won. Thank God they were not tortured. Thank God they were not sexually abused or, or anything like that. The rebels, the uh, warlords, did take a video, and I, all I will say about the video is that they were killed humanely. But they still died. Evil won. Or did it? There are former child soldiers today who are not carrying AK-47s. They're going to school. They're being educated. 
MJ's family, who are devout Christians, had an opportunity to share the gospel with Zaida's family, whose faith was not strong. And there are people at Goshen College in Indiana who are learning about peacemaking and learning about MJ and Zaida's life through a whole new course of study named in their behalf to teach peacekeeping and, and kingdom building. And they're going to be the next MJs and the next Zaidas out there going into the dark places of the world and doing their part. And Jesus is going to continue to deliver people from evil as a result of that. Can you imagine what Jesus could do through us if we joined Him? Let's pray. Father, we can't deliver anyone from evil. But You've called us to overcome evil with good. So Father, help us to do our part to overcome evil with good. But Lord, in Your mercy and in Your grace, would You please deliver us and those held in bondage by evil Would you deliver us from evil? In Jesus' name, amen.
And now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.